I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. This is another episode, another week, and another interview between the two of us. You get just the two of us today, and that's okay because we have so much to talk about. Julie is going to be interviewing me. Yes, the tables have turned. (laughs) You probably were in for a killer one last week. We did not realize how long that ran as we were running, which was the irony of the whole thing. Yeah. And then afterward, I'm like, oh my God, how do we talk for 88 minutes? I forgot we were even recording. I was just like, we're having a catch-up sesh. Because it was our first (laughs) catch-up sesh since the new year. So we did have a lot to talk about. And you all got to hear the whole thing. We'll see what happens today. You know, we're going to shoot for a little less time. We'll be a little more 
more conscious, but who knows? We'll see where the conversation takes us. This episode spans over two days. (laughs) We just talked for 24 hours and we condensed it to 60 minutes. (laughs) I know. It's like when you think about it, though, we're going through our histories, right? Talking about just dating behaviors and current relationship behaviors that we both do. And, you know, that's a couple decades. So there's a reason why it spans so long. Sure is, because we've been around for a couple decades. I think this whole topic, Dateable Podcast has been obsessed with figuring out why do we date the way we do. And you and I have reflected a lot about why we've done the behaviors that a lot of people complain about or we complained about. We 100% have been there and, you know, we're both in long-term committed relationships, but it just shows up in different ways as we established from last week too. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go into all of it. But before we do, UA, in retrospect... Can you like pinpoint some of the behaviors that were getting in your way? Yeah, I had a major revelation. (laughs) I think it was January 1st. I was just thinking, I don't know why. I'm just thinking about all the previous dates I've been on. I realized I was the asshole. I was the (laughs) douchebag. I always prided myself on not going on dates with douchebags. And I realized it's because I was the douchebag. Me. Okay, we're going to get into that. Okay. I mean, I know you very well. I would say you're maybe not giving yourself enough credit. But I guess why do you think you were the douchebag? I feel like I'm a very good girlfriend. But before I become the girlfriend, I played so many games. I never once Mm. told someone, thank you for a great night. I had a great time. Never once sent that text or told someone that because I didn't want to give up my power. Mm -hmm. I did not offer to pay for dates. In fact, when the check came, I would just act like entitled, like you should be paying for this check, which is an asshole move. I've also never expressed my feelings first. So I just kind of waited for people to tell Mm. me. And even if I really liked someone, I wouldn't tell them. And if they didn't text me or tell me their feelings, I would just act cold and disinterested, which is also an asshole move. I feel like if there was a handbook written about how to be a terrible person in dating, I wouldn't say I'm terrible. Okay, I was not terrible. I did not hurt people. But the things that were hurting me were the dating advice and the books that we've talked about that were just so detrimental to just being a good human being, just being a decent human being. I couldn't even just be that. Okay. I see all the stuff you're saying and I see how that could totally happen. But I also know you and I do know that probably wasn't your goal. No. I think it was probably coming out of fear yourself and you just didn't want to get hurt. Do you agree? Like, do you think that's where it was coming from or where was it coming from somewhere else? A hundred percent. It's all a self-protection mechanism. All I was ever worried about was giving up my power. I was so afraid of relinquishing that power to someone I really liked that they could hurt me just by not sending a text, just by telling me they didn't want to see me again. I wanted to get in front of that and be the one to reject them or be the one Mm -hmm. to act cool and play cool and become disconnected and disinterested. In turn, I was not displaying the qualities of a good partner. I can totally see now. It's so clear to me now why some of those situationships did not turn into relationships because I didn't even behave like I wanted to be in a relationship or be a partner. I want to unpack that a little because we've seen this a lot. Mm -hmm. People say they want to be in a relationship, but then you actually look at their behaviors and it's anything but. I know you said you want to be in one, but what did you think that you were doing that didn't make you relationship material? 
We've talked about this on our show, and you and I have talked about this as well in private, but I used to be the runner. (laughs) I looked at my Mm. travel itinerary from five, six years ago. I was always on the run. I was always traveling somewhere. Sure, I like travel, but in a way, it was my way of escaping, and it was also my way of making it seem like I was hard to get. You know, I wasn't available all Mm. the time. But what I ultimately wanted was to travel with a partner. I wasn't even making space or time for that. So that was behavior number one. It was just so apparent that I am the runner. I'm avoiding the reality that I live in by going to other places. So I want to break it down. I want to start in your 20s. So Mm. we talk about this a lot. The goal for a lot of us in dating is to get to marriage. I find your story really interesting, but I want to go back to New Year's Eve. What year was it? Like 2006-ish? 2008, maybe. 2008. Okay. Yeah. Tell our listeners what went down that night. I have been with my boyfriend for five years. We lived together in New York City. It was New Year's Eve. I had been mentally checked out of this relationship for probably a year and a half at this point. But we never once talked about marriage. We're living together. We're in our mid-20s. It's like, oh, you know, this is what you do when you're in a relationship. We went to a party that night where I got plastered and I couldn't see straight. We're walking through (laughs) Times Square after this party ends. I'm in heels. I'm like maybe one heel's even broken at this point. I don't even know. I just couldn't walk straight. And he turns to me and he puts his hands on my shoulders. He's like, this is not how it was supposed to happen. And I say, what was supposed to happen? I couldn't even look at him in his eyes because I couldn't find his eyes. That's how plastered I was. And he brings out the sparkly thing to me from my fuzzy vision, looked like a ring. And he is waving this thing in front of me going, this is what was supposed to happen. This. That was the proposal. Oh, my God. We get home. I don't remember how we got home. The next morning we wake up and he's like, do you remember what happened last night? And I'm like, I kind of remember a ring or something like that. So he brings out the ring and I immediately am like, I'm not ready. I can't say yes. Before we can even unpack that conversation, I get a call from his sister who is congratulating us on the engagement. So his whole family was in on this. They knew he was proposing that night. It was such a surprise. And, you know, you and I always talk about this. A proposal shouldn't be that much of a surprise. Hopefully you've already talked about marriage at this point. I was so taken off guard. I didn't know how to respond to his sister. I was like, oh, I I haven't accepted yet. And she's like, that's weird. And that day, he had to put the ring back in a FedEx envelope to ship back to the jeweler. I don't even remember what the ring looked like. It didn't even matter to me at that point. It was just that knee-jerk reaction of, no, I'm not ready for this with you. That is straight out of a movie. I feel like that is a scene that would be in a movie. Right? So you're with him for five years, but you didn't... I know, granted, you were younger. You were in your early 20s. Like, just did this never cross your mind? Or do you feel like he was not the right person, but you just didn't know how to get out? I felt like it definitely crossed my mind. We were so integrated into each other's lives. It just felt like, yeah, probably eventually. But I Hmm. think four years in... 
I had a career change, and I think I've talked about this. I had a quarter-life crisis. I quit my corporate career to become a TV host. So my entertainment lifestyle was very different than his. He was in corporate. And I saw this whole other world and a whole other side of me that I wanted to explore. So I think three and a half years in, I was like, I don't know if this is something I can see for the long term, but I feel safe right now. I mean, sure, I didn't really have a real job and he had a steady job. So Mm. he was my rock. Granted, he really supported me through this, not financially, but emotionally. So it just felt like, yeah, eventually. But in my 20s and 30s, I just assumed relationships would just evolve and move forward without you having those conversations and being intentional about it. That was lesson number one. You have to have intentions behind what you're doing. Okay, so now, all these years later, like, do you think that was the right choice? Like, Now that you've seen that it's harder than just relationships happening? I tend to stalk my exes quite a bit, some of the more prominent exes, just to see what they're up to. And every time I see pictures of him and his wife and their kid, I'm just filled with joy. Okay. Because to me, I feel like I got out of the way so he could find Mm. happiness with this woman who it seems like they have a happy, healthy marriage. And the kid looks just like him. And I'm so happy about that. Like, he seems like he's living the life that he wanted. The other point of contention for us was he's from Atlanta. I lived in New York. I have no ties to Atlanta. He wanted to eventually move back there. He is back there now with a woman who's also okay. from there. And they have a kid there. I feel like I got out of his way. So I'm filled with joy with that. And I absolutely believe that I made the right decision. Have you ever seen or talked to him since? No. Wow. No, it's so weird. It's so weird. We had a pretty bad breakup. I was an asshole yeah, in this breakup. Yeah, you think? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was an asshole in this breakup. Because, you know, I didn't accept the engagement, but also this dragged on for six more months. Oh, after the engagement. Yes. He went off to business school after this happened. So we were long distance and we just dragged it out for six more months. Oh, God. Him thinking that we could make this work and eventually I would move to wherever he was and me already moving on. I had already thought about my future without him. But six months later, we had a mini fight over Skype. And I was just like, this is over. And that was it. That was the last time we ever (gasps) spoke to each other. Obviously, there was a lot of resentment from his side. I tried to reach out to him a few times after just to share some news about the building that we were living in or some of our mutual friends. No response. Zero, zero response. And rightfully so. I mean, I was not expecting anything from him. In retrospect, looking back now, was it just because you were still trying to make it work or was it easier kind of just to avoid that conversation, pretend like nothing was wrong, keep going? Like, What was your mindset with that? It's that comfort that's hard to leave. We built this life together for five years. It's not insignificant. Right. Five years is a long time. He was the first adult relationship I had had. The one before that was, you know, in college. So I felt like it was really hard to let go of that. And also I was like, maybe I'll just wake up one day and say, yeah, I do want to marry him. Maybe I'll just snap out of it. You know, maybe this is a phase. And he even phrases that. He's like, maybe you're going through a phase. Mm. Cool. Maybe I am. But six months later, it was just clear and clear to me that it was not a phase and I needed to just cut all ties with him. Okay, so you're in this new phase. What's that like? You're like what, like late 20s at this point? Yeah, just barely entering my late 20s. In New York City, single, so ready to mingle, meeting all kinds of people in all different industries. 
And I was living in Murray Hill, just where all the single mm. post-grad people live. And it's wild every night. <laughs> I just remember not really being home ever because I just went out. I kind of like in my early 20s, I was in a relationship. I wasn't living this lifestyle yet. So I was kind of reclaiming my early 20s mm. and had a great time. Buck Wild UA came out. And I'm so glad I got to explore that side of me because I didn't know I had it in me. So what was your mentality like then? Were you looking for something or was that off the table? You also had this period, right? You're going out a lot, having a lot of fun, mm -hmm. but then telling your friends that you want a relationship. Same, mm. same. Like, oh, I want to be in a relationship. I want to find a boyfriend. You know, I really want to like be with one person. Yet I was out every night. You know, right. I didn't come home till seven in the morning. How is that conducive to a relationship? I didn't have friends like you who were like, Julie, you should really reevaluate what you're doing. <laughs> no, none of my friends were doing that. They were being like, yeah, yeah, go out more, but also play these <laughs> games with the people you're going out with. So they want to be in a relationship with you. Looking back is like, who want to be in a relationship with someone who is so unstable and unpredictable? Right. So you talked about a lot on the podcast, this great New York love. Mm. The one that you thought was the person that was probably a situationship in retrospect. There just wasn't For that sure. name. Yeah. Well, was there a string of other people like that? And like, what habits do you think were getting in your way? You mentioned a few about just not being necessarily the most stable. But what else was going on for you with these types of people? I would be super confident with people I was not interested in, but then completely cold with the people that I was very interested in. We triggered each other's avoidant behavior. So the colder I be, okay. the colder he would be. I even had oh a nickname for him, the Tin Man, because he would not show any oh. emotions. I would say that to his face and it became a joke. But now looking back on it, it's not a joke. We were trying to play that relationship chicken the whole time. Mm -hmm. It's like, who can be colder? I just kept doing this with everybody that I really liked. But with him in particular, I never told him once that I had feelings for him. I never told him once that I had a good time. It was always just, hey, yeah, if you want to hang out, let's hang out. That's cool. Cool girl syndrome. It wasn't until years later when I saw him, he had reached out again. We hung out. I had all this pent up love for him. I thought I was in love with him for two years that we didn't speak. And when I saw him, everything came out. It was verbal diarrhea. I've been thinking about you for the last two years. I'm so happy to have you back in my life. I really want to explore this. It was just verbal diarrhea. And to him, I think it was just like a casual hangout. Yeah. Imagine getting all that from a catch up with the, like an old fling and never heard from him again. The next day after we had this hangout, I was telling all my friends that I was entering into a relationship. To me, that was a start, oh a God. restart. To him, that was the end. And I think a month later, because... My bestie at the time was very much protective of me, and he went into this guy's work to tell him off for ghosting me. So because of this... <laughs> Wait, was it Rob or someone else? No, it was not oh, Rob. Okay. I have not met him yet. His name is Caleb. Oh, this is such... I love Caleb. We still talk about this moment. He went in to his work, was like, I'm looking for this guy. He was like, don't you dare do that to my friend. Can't believe you ghosted her. So that prompted him emailing me this long explanation of him not wanting to be in a relationship with me, not seeing a future with me. It didn't mean as much as I thought it meant that last time we saw each other. 
it wrecked me. It really did. But I also spent two years not showing any of this or telling him any of this. So how was he ever supposed to know my feelings for him? Right. And then if you don't show it, they have no opportunity to reciprocate or not reciprocate. Right. So in your mind, you're just building it up that it's like reciprocal. Yes. If you had said this earlier, it could have nipped it in the bud, right? Like right away. Yes. We always talk about the time wasted on the fantasy of someone. Yeah. I wasted two years fantasizing about this guy that didn't really exist in my world. I did not focus on anybody else. My career was going to shit because I just kept thinking about this fantasy. And when my fantasy was wrecked, I was like, fuck, what am I doing now? I was 30 at that time. You know, I'm like, I'm 30 now. And I just spent my last two years of my 20s thinking about this guy that didn't even exist. Oh, my God. We really were living parallel lives. We were. Like yeah. That was me at that age, too. <laughs> so I think my biggest takeaway, we all need a friend that's going to go hunt down our ghosters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the problem today, though, is there's just too many that it makes it near impossible. <laughs> I do want to point out that I, I've noticed a shift even from the story you just told, right? Before you were saying you kept everything bottled in, you would never share your emotions, you avoided any conversation, but then you did have verbal diarrhea. What do you think was that catalyst? Like what made you suddenly feel confident and comfortable to actually say what was on your mind for once? For two years, I was willing for him to tell me things. I was like using mind tricks, looking at his Facebook page, focusing on his photo and being like, text me, text me. And I, at some point, I realized I don't do voodoo shit. Like I'm not, I'm, oh I don't God. do magic. I can't will someone to reach out to me. But when he finally did, I was like, wow, the universe has spoken. It works. Giving yeah. me an opportunity. <laughs> and I felt like this was my only <sighs> chance to tell him everything I had bottled up. It was my one moment. And I took that moment. I'm glad I did. I wish that yeah. I didn't let it all come out like that. But I have no regrets. And it gave him, like you said, an opportunity to respond, at least. And now I know that door was closed immediately. I was like, after I got that email, I was like, yeah, okay, we're done. Honestly, living in the fantasy is the worst thing you the can worst. do. The worst. I guarantee you probably weren't interested in other people, even no. if you were dating. You were focused, preoccupied on this one person. And yeah, it might not be good to hear what you heard, but at least you heard it and it could set you free. The biggest mistake is keeping something going that there's no likes to go on. Exactly. I actually did enter into a, a mini relationship in those two years. And I realized I wasn't giving him my full self mm. because I was still hung up on this other guy. Interesting. We try to move things forward. I was just like, there's a blocker somewhere. I just like cannot fully emotionally engage with this person. And now I know why. I really think the fantasy of someone robs you of the presence mm -hmm. of someone else. What ended it the first time that you didn't talk anymore? Oh, well, you know, the infamous Valentine's Day story of... <laughs> We had a date the day before Valentine's Day, something I had picked because I was like, hell no, are we going to go out on Valentine's Day? I'm not going to make oh him think God. that we're together, <laughs> you know? Even though that's what you're dying for. <laughs> exactly. That's what I wanted. So on this date, 
I was very confrontational. I was like, we're obviously not going to hang out on Valentine's Day because I don't know what we are. (laughs) So here we are doing this. And I'm not really seeing other people, but I guess I could start seeing other people. It was my way of DTRing with him. And he agreed. He was like, I'm not seeing other people. I like you. I actually want to see you on Valentine's Day. Let's hang out tomorrow. Like, great. So we made plans. But that night, he called me a cab and I got in the cab. And I was like, you're going to take me to my apartment and then go back to your place. To me, with that entitlement, but as a form of self-protective mechanism, it was my way of being like, I have the upper hand. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go out of my way to get in a cab to take you home. And then I go the opposite direction. And we got in a fight there. And that night I called him and broke up with him. I was like, oh, if you can't meet my basic needs, which I don't understand what the basic needs were. If you can't do that, then I can't be in a relationship with you. And I ended it. Do you think you were testing him or do you think of that like Of course. You, yeah. Of course. I want him to be like, I'm so sorry that I didn't, you know, actually the first test was the cab, was to see how committed are Mm. you to me? If you're committed, you would take me home first. Oh my God. And then you go home. Like, come on. What world was I living in? These unspoken rules, right? That people just don't know. And I had this friend, she and I no longer talk. The whole time I had her voice in the back of my head saying, if he likes you, he would treat you like a (sighs) queen. If he likes you, he wouldn't think anything was trouble for him to do for you as long as it made you happy. He should treat you like a queen. So her voice kept talking and I was just like, yeah, "Yeah, if he really liked me, he would do this. He should do that. What planet was I living on? Right. And never once communicated any of this. Never. At all. Never. Never. And to him, he wasn't a strong communicator either. So for me to say all this, it triggered for him to run away even more. For him to say, right. I, I don't know what you want from me. I want out. I don't want to be part of this either. You know, it's interesting because like I think of you like from what, some of our conversations as being more of an anxious dater mm. and like triggered by some of these avoidant people. But the more that you've kind of unraveled is that you avoided a lot yourself. Yes. And I know it's two sides of the same coin. How do you think like both behaviors showed up for you? I think it's the avoidant behavior first, and then that triggers the anxious behavior second. Me being avoidant triggers the other person to pull away, which then triggers my anxiety because I see them pulling away. It's a vicious cycle. Because you're testing them and they don't think that you're testing them. They think that you're just being cold and absolutely not interested, aloof. Absolutely. And I think it stems from my childhood. My parents would get mad at me. I would go close my door and not talk to them and avoid them. And then my parents would cold shoulder me and not talk to me, Mm. which would then make me anxious about whether they still loved me or not. My parents and I, when I was a child, never had conversations about why they were upset. Never. So I just assumed if we just avoid it, they don't talk to me, give it a few days, they'll all be fine. We'll just act like nothing happened. Go away, yeah. And it never went away. Crept up in my 20s for sure. It's so crazy just like what we learn at young ages, how it sticks with us forever. Absolutely. There's a lot of attachment theory. Like, I think it's very oversimplified, but I do agree with the principles of what we learn growing up Mm -hmm. shapes who we are later on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then that's what you know as love. Mm -hmm. 
for me, it was like, oh, my parents show me love by avoiding me mm. for a few days and then acting like nothing happened. So if I'm in a relationship, that's how I'm going to show love, too. Yeah. And then when it happens, you don't think anything's wrong. Like you just think that's normal. I think a lot of times when we do bad dating behaviors or basically the opposite of what we want, we call relationship chicken. When we do the exact actions that aren't what is getting us mm -hmm. into a relationship. I think a lot of it comes from the fact that like we've never seen a good model of what a relationship right. should be. This is what we think is actually good. Yeah. So I know you left New York. Was it after this guy or was it related to him or was this independent when you went to Beijing? I went to Beijing kind of after I hadn't heard from him in weeks. And I had this trip planned to Beijing anyway. So I was going to go visit my family. And when I got that email, it was in Beijing. He actually called me first. And I was oh, in Beijing. Oh, shit. Yes. Okay. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's calling me. I'm not going to answer. I'm not in the right mindset. <laughs> that was followed up by an email. So I was already in Beijing. When I got that email, I was like, fuck it. I'm not going back to New York. I have nothing to go back to. I don't need that anymore. So I stayed in Beijing for two years. That email really triggered this whole life change for me. And I'm so thankful for him for that because he was the push that I needed to get out of New York. I had already come to it kind of like a stalemate in New York after seven years. Mm -hmm. It was no longer the city that I had grown to love it to be. And I wasn't mm -hmm. growing personally or professionally. And it was just I just needed to close this door in order for me to pick up my life and make a change. And that's what happened. I mean, that's the part, though, about the journey, right, is like mm -hmm. in the moment, it sucks when this is happening. But the fact that this was a catalyst for the next stage of your life. But I do believe like everything does happen for a reason. And people do provide us with that opportunity for a lesson, right, if we choose yes. to see it. So it's interesting that you wanted nothing more to be with this guy. Yeah. But then when he called you, you ignored his phone call. <laughs> right? Because I we knew all, at that point. So many of us do that. Yeah. We all have a gut instinct. And if you haven't heard from someone in, let's say, two weeks, you're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is done. Yeah. You know, you know. The feeling's not mutual. I don't need to like guess anything here. You're now in your early 30s, you'd say, in Beijing? Yeah. I think I just turned 30 in Beijing. What was your mentality like here? This is why I always feel like dating like your own vacation is like the best mindset because I was like, I'm open to whatever. Let's meet anybody. <laughs> there were no rules, no preconceived notions about anything. There were no rules that I was playing by because it was Beijing with a bunch of expats from all over the world. So you're blending cultures. It was so lovely. It felt like visually I just ripped up everything I had known about dating threw it out the window and was like, let's see what's in store for me here. I had the best time dating the expats in Beijing. It was just meeting a bunch of people who are so open to learn, open to experience yeah. new things. It was a very fun place to date in a bubble. So did you see any of these behaviors that once got in your way? You know, the being cold, playing the cool girl, not showing your true self, like all of that. Like, Did you see that creep in at all or... 
Was it different? That's a very good question because I realize I played no games in Beijing because the mentality of Beijing in an expat culture is that your time is limited with people. You don't know when they're going to leave. Interesting. So you just want to spend all the time with them. You want to take the opportunity to tell them that you like them, that you like spending time with them. I had a very short month and a half relationship that was so intense because we just wanted to tell each other everything. We were so attuned to each other's emotions because we knew it was limited. He was going to leave in a month and a half. No time for games. Interesting. It's almost safer because it's safer because it doesn't feel like it could be real. Right. It's like dating on a reality TV show. <laughs> it's exactly that. So is this the one that you lived with? The one that you found cheating or was that someone else? That's someone else. Okay. <laughs> that is someone I'm else. Jumping ahead. <laughs> that is someone else. But even that, it was an eight-month relationship. We moved in within the first month of dating. We met parents within wow. the second month. Things just moved fast and then crashed and burned after eight months. And that's okay. <laughs> I guess in that kind of environment, you're willing to take risks. And the other thing is like, you feel like you have an out. I can always go back to my home country. Mm. I don't need to stay here mm. if this thing doesn't work. You know, it's a perfect place for avoidant daters. It really is. It really is. It kind of <laughs> reminds you of that episode we did with Greg a few seasons back yep. about always being on the road yep. and never like having the home base it's always the excuse to get out. For sure. Yeah. So I do want to talk about the cheating, though, mm -hmm. because I feel like you've talked about this before on episodes. We did one episode. I remember that you explicitly talked about it. It was around this topic. What was your mentality with that? Like, even though it was fleeting, like, I'm assuming that still, like, hurt a lot. It hurt so much because I never thought it would happen to me. You, know, you hear about people cheating, being cheated on. And when I had the feeling that something was going down, I checked his phone. And sure enough, I found all the evidence. When you have the urge to check your partner's phone, it's probably a bad sign already. You probably shouldn't even go through with it. I kept like rubbing my eyes because I was like, am I reading this right? Am I seeing these messages right? He was messaging all kinds of randos. And a lot of it was, some of it was in English, some of it was in Chinese. So I was like doing the Google Translate as I'm looking through his oh phone, gosh. like, am I reading this right? But I was reading it right because when I confronted him, he was extremely embarrassed about the whole thing. There was no coming back. I tried to make it work. And he's like, I'm just so ashamed. I can't even face you. Oh, shit. He moved out the next day after I confronted him. Also, I think this is like prime example of love bombing. He took me away on our first date. An impromptu first date flew me first class to a neighboring city, and we stayed the weekend there. Mm. I think that's love bombing. Okay, at the time I was like, definitely, <laughs> I was like, this wow, cool. yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> he's sweeping me off my feet. He's so into me. But looking back, I was like, how many other times has he done that with someone? I mean, eight months was still a significant relationship. Like, did you feel like it had depth that relationship? I think I've said this before, too, is like looking back on all my relationships. Now I know because I never got feedback. But now looking back, I wasn't exactly like that connected girlfriend. It was just like a state of being with someone. So even looking back on that eight month relationship, there was one month I was back in the States. We never talked on the phone. Yeah. And even in our interview with you last week when you're like, oh, yeah, if my partner and I are away, we do like FaceTime or we're chatting for a whole month. We didn't talk on the phone. We maybe texted once or twice, sent maybe one email. That was the extent wow. of our communication. 
that should have been a sign right there that we weren't <laughs> deeply connected to each other. I think that's something that I've realized is a relationship is not black and white. It does not mean the same thing. It's kind of similar to when someone says, oh, we've been dating for eight months. Yeah. And then you find out they've seen each other one time a month or every other week versus you see someone day in, day out. Yes. I think the relationship is the same. Like I look back on my past relationships compared to now and I'm like, we were not interconnected at all. Right. There's a level of superficiality to my past relationships, mm -hmm. just barely scratching the surface of getting to know someone, even though some of them lasted years. Yeah. Now looking back, I'm like, I don't think I know much about that person. If you want me to describe them, I can't tell you anything about them. <laughs> I think a lot of people have relationships like this, like more wow. than you think that still could be actively going on is what I've realized is that, you know, I mean, I think dateable listeners, like we're holding ourselves to a different standard, which I think ultimately is good because we've seen relationships fail. We've seen divorce and we don't want to do it that way. I'd rather be in a short but connected relationship than a long drawn out mm -hmm. superficial relationship. There's nothing more lonely than being in a relationship yes. and feeling alone in it. And that's what happens when you're not that connected to your partner. Which is a good segue because then after Beijing, you moved to SF, which is when I met yes. you. And that's when so. we started dating. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Longest relationship yet. Yep. <laughs> so was this the catalyst to leave like when this fell apart or were there other reasons that you're like, okay, time to move on? This was a catalyst. I was working on a TV show in Beijing. That show had already wrapped and this relationship was wrapping up. He <laughs> wrapping. already moved out. <laughs> yeah. Like what else is here for me in Beijing? I loved being close to my extended family, but I also knew that I didn't want a future in Beijing. Mm. I didn't see myself settling in Beijing. So I moved to San Francisco because our mutual friend, Courtney, who I met in Orange <laughs> County during one of my trips back to the U.S., she was a new friend of mine. She and her partner at the time had moved to San Francisco. She's like, Yue, you got to move to San Francisco. This is like <laughs> the place to be so for young dudes. professionals. <laughs> and so many do. She was also a matchmaker, but she's like, this is the place to be. And she, before I even moved to San Francisco, she already matched me with someone. Remember, she met some guy <laughs> yeah. at Novella and he introduced us. And he and I actually had a relationship for a little bit, like a few months. So I was like, great. Great. You know, San Francisco is already set up. She found me my first and only apartment in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Courtney Kay, I owe it all to you for starting my life in San Francisco. Hey, she introduced us. That's how she we introduced met us. her. I saw her recently and she's like, still the best match I ever made was you and UA. <laughs> <laughs> best damn matchmaker ever for friends. <laughs> I owe it all to her. So yeah, I met UA through Courtney, which was great. You know, it's interesting that you said that some of these behaviors subsided in Beijing, because I remember you reverting back a little. You oh. told the story about the coloring book. <laughs> I mean, I like, relapsed so hard. <laughs> Do you think it's, though, that you felt like this could be home and anything you did could be serious? Like you said, the vacation mentality was kind of lifted. Yeah, because I felt very invested in San Francisco. I felt like... I could 
definitely have roots in San Francisco. I had reconnected with some of my old college friends. So it just felt like mm-hmm. there was more familiarity with the place. I felt like I needed to go back to game playing because there was more at stake. And also like in San Francisco, it is a small city. So your reputation kind of travels with you. Yeah. And I just want to be careful about who I was dating and what I was doing with them because I want to make sure I have a good reputation as a new girl on the block. Yeah. And I mean, also mid 30s, we're getting mm-hmm. like dating more intentionally. I think the pressure does come up a bit when you're just dating to have fun and who cares versus yeah. you're dating to actually meet someone. There is a difference. So I do remember we did an early episode. I mean, part of why we were compelled to do Dateable is that you got there and you're like, I don't know what is going on. Yeah. With dating. Like, what the like, fuck I know is a dating code, But I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, I also feel the same way. I mean, it was interesting because I was in a relationship at the time, but it was on again, off again. Mm -hmm. So I had like this different perspective, but I'd been single for all these years prior. And I think that was like a big catalyst of us starting this of just like, what is happening? This is a changing landscape. Mm -hmm. Also for you, I'm in this new place. I want to make it work. And I remember one of the early episodes we did, we had an episode season one, Don't Molly and Date. Do you remember that? one i just flipped through that episode today because i was looking at some old episodes and that came up as a recommended episode like what like no (laughs) hide that one like was i on molly when i did this episode because i like totally blocked it from my memory that was the coloring book guy right no 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 this was the different one the molly guy we'll share the stories for our listeners If someone wants to write, needs material for an episode of something, I still think this is such great material. You can't make this shit up. But it was also someone I met through Courtney. And when you say someone needs material, it's us that is going to. It's need us, that yeah. Material. It's going. Yeah, it's going into our. Okay? Yes, okay. It's going to our sitcom. Sorry, you do not have. Nobody has permission except for us to use this. I had met someone through Courtney, and we took us a few years to really find attraction because he is someone who had always been around. I had always been around, like in our friend circle. But then I don't know. One day something just clicked, and he messaged me. He's like, "I want to take you out. Like, let's go." And on that date, it was like fireworks. It was just like immediate attraction, immediate makeout. And he was like, you're someone I can see myself falling in love with. And I was like, let's do it. Let's fall in love. Damn. At that point, I had some Molly that I had not taken before <laughs> from a friend who had gifted me Molly from years ago. I don't even know how good this from Molly years was. ago. Oh, from years ago. <laughs> and I told him about it. He's like, oh, I'm a big fan. We should definitely take some. Let's do it. So we did like part of that pill together that day and we had a great time. And it was like all these words came out like I can see we're either going to end in this terrible breakup or be married in a year. That's like our trajectory, right? It was like so hot and heavy. This night happens and he ends up spending almost every night at my place for like a whole week. And at the end of this week, he was going on this work event and he said, I'm coming back later. Let's do the rest of the Molly. I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. 10 o'clock rolls around and I assume that he's coming back after his work event around like 11, right? So I'm like, I'm going to do the Molly now and get myself all ready for him when he gets back. Well, he never ends up showing up. I am straight up like rolling, right, by 11 p.m. And I don't know what to do with myself. I'm like Skyping my friends in New York because, you know, Molly's a very social drug. And I was just like going, going crazy. So I was like, I'm going to send him some haikus. 
And I wrote him, I think, 10 haikus, texted them to him. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pure gold. (laughs) And I wish we were still in touch because I like those haikus back because I'm pretty sure they should be published. Pure gold. The next day, I get a text from him. He's like, what the fuck? And we never meet up again after that. That was the end of our week-long relationship. Oh, my God. There's so much to unpack here. (laughs) There's nothing. Julie, there's nothing to unpack there. Absolutely nothing. I think there is. Okay, this is what I'm thinking and I'm curious of. So it's I'm just thinking about your past, right, in your behaviors. You're someone that Mm. doesn't show what you really want. You don't communicate. In this case, you kind of went full in. Mm-hmm. Didn't he like move his shit into your apartment or something? I mean, he lived Wasn't with there? me for a whole week, so he left stuff, I mean, <laughs> right. clothes. Okay, so like everything. That's like a lot, right? And then yeah. I think also just to have it go. I mean, we've talked about microwave relationships before. They start off heat up real fast and then just cool down, evaporate immediately. Yeah, like to have that happen though, that must be scarring. Also, when you're kind of already in this mentality. Of like, I don't want to show my full self. How did you even get to the point that you were just like, okay, jumping in with him so head first when you've been so hesitant before? I feel like sometimes in modern dating, we're almost looking for permission. Mm. And when the other person tells us something that's so emotional, it almost gives you permission to reciprocate. Mm. So when he first, on our first date, he was like, I can see myself falling in love with you. I think it opened up the side of me that was like, yeah, I can see that too. And I'm willing to jump in head first with you on this. Okay, I never seen that side of me. And then the Molly really opened things up. (laughs) (laughs) I see that though. It's the safety. In the past, you didn't feel that because they were also guarded, more avoidant or not showing their cards. So you did the same. But I could also see how that would be difficult that you think that this is a safe person and then it's not. Right. It goes back to love bombing. It's just like someone's so into you from the beginning and they're very vocal about it. Yeah, it makes you want to repeat and reciprocate. But then at the same time, it's like, this is real. Damn. Okay. Okay. Oh, my God. We're uncovering so much here. And then the coloring book guy, I'm going to gloss over him because- Gloss over him. Yeah, not even worth- We're going to gloss over short. He basically just like totally flaked and you spent tons of time waiting for his text instead of just texting him and making it happen, right? Wasn't that like the story? Yeah. Tahoe guy and coloring book guy overlapped, remember? Okay. they, They were around the same time and I was playing the same fucking game with both of them, which was the waiting game. Yes. of them initiating first. So it was so much. I spent 80% of my time waiting for their text messages. How sad is that? I wish I had all the time back that I did that. Right. Oh, my God. If I could get that time back, like, what a difference. difference. Again, it goes back to just knowing. It's similar to, like, your New York Tin Man story, right, of it's better just to know where you stand than to just wait anxiously and eat up your time. No kidding. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. This episode is brought to you by Apostrophe. This new year, I've committed to kicking it off right by finding small ways to help me look and feel my best. Taking care of my skin is a huge part of my new commitment to self-love and self-care. 
That's why I'm excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsor of this episode. Whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe's mission is to empower you and help you feel confident and comfortable in the skin you're in. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin. Simply fill out an online consultation, snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. My products came with detailed instructions and also explanations of each ingredient. Lucky for you all, we have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash datable when you use our code datable. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. Again, go to apostrophe.com slash datable and use our code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When was the last time you felt like your best self? I can tell you for me, it's when I feel like I'm in control of my life and my actions. But sometimes life gets me bogged down. I feel overwhelmed and I can't show up in the way that I want. Working with a therapist has helped me tremendously in taking control of my life and getting me closer to the best version of myself. I meet with my therapist on a weekly basis and I feel so empowered after each session. I used to think therapy was for when times are bad, but I realize it's very similar to healthy eating. Therapy helps to maintain my mental health and is a way of life. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com datable today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, that's spelled H-E-L-P dot com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E. So a big aha moment for you was on this podcast. I remember this happening. Mm. It was a blind date mm-hmm. that we set up with a dating app at the time. Don't believe they're in business anymore. It was called Whim. Mm. Remember them? Yep. And we had this guy, Andrew, go on a date with UA. I'll let you tell the story. But like, why do you think this kind of was such a turning point for you? He called me out so hard on that episode in a, such a loving, gentle way that it changed the way I date forever. He and I were, you know, set up on this date. I just assume I'm going to go into this dating experiment. I'll just be my good old UA dating self. You know, I'm just so funny and entertaining and I have this great background I can always talk about on these dates that really impresses people because it's like so interesting how my upbringing and all this stuff. You know, I pull out all the cards. I'm like, I'm going to do this and this and this. It was a formula. I didn't even intentionally do that. It was just like, you know, you just know what you're going to be talking about on dates. So I go on this date. He and I have a great time. I feel like I'm really impressing him and entertaining him. And in the middle of it, he was like, hey, we can continue with this date. But if we do, you got to show me who you are. Like, stop with this act. Stop with this performing. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. (laughs) My tone changed. I went from like, oh, yeah, to... Oh, shit. Well, you were kind of like called out. And, you know, that's why feedback is so important on dates. We never get feedback. We think we're going around killing it. And that's why you come out of a date thinking that, oh, my God, we're going to definitely have a second date. And the other person is sitting there saying, "Okay, never call on that person again. Yep. And if he never gave me that feedback, I would have 
thought that I crushed that date, <laughs> that yeah. he really liked me and that we probably see each other again. I'm so glad that he gave me that feedback because it made me realize that I had been performing for most of my life on these dates. I was not myself. And I kept preaching, be yourself, to the people I was coaching. I don't know even where that came from. Everything was so performative and formulaic that I lost myself in these dates. Like if they don't see who you truly are, you don't go deep with them. Mm -hmm. If they reject you, it's not as much a reflection of yourself. You mm. can say, I didn't really put myself out there or I didn't give it my all. Like it's a good backup, right? Yeah. It's less investment in that person if you don't reveal mm -hmm. who you are. At this stage, you had started dating your ex before your current partner. So things did not work out with this person, but he actually was very attracted to you once you started to reveal yourself. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And it definitely showed that like getting deep and vulnerable and even if it's not a match, like showing yourself is so essential. And I think it's important to mention that he's a poker player and this guy, <laughs> Andrew, that I went on a date with so he can see through the bs he had a knack for yeah. seeing through that poker face and seeing if you're being real or not so i'm glad like if anybody has a chance to go out with a poker player do it <laughs> let them call you out on your bullshit and how did this help you with the relationship you had after him and did you still see some of this behavior sneaking in of this i want to hide myself and maybe not be as open did that still surface or do you feel like this was the wake up call fully that you needed? I still think I struggle with this. I still think I do. Even my current partner, because I feel like I'm very communicative, but he's like, mm -hmm. you don't tell me everything. Sometimes when you tell me something, it feels like a surprise because you're not keeping me updated on what you're truly feeling. And I get that. I edit and I censor so much of myself. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen that with you, too, like when we're around like strangers versus <laughs> when it's just you and I. I remember there was one time we were out <laughs> and you look so engaged in the conversation. I'm like, oh, are you having a really good talk? You're like, I couldn't stand that person. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're like, I thought you were really into this person. Like, no. I did. Yeah. And it wasn't even a guy. It was another girl that you were yeah, just like talking girl. to. But I thought yes. that you were just like having the best conversation of your life. Oh, I'm so annoyed. Like, I've seen that even with like friends that aren't as close. Like, I think mm -hmm. I've seen a different side of you. But I do think it's hard to break that down. And I mean... Like you said, it comes from your childhood, right? It's not going to just be something that magically disappears. And that's why I think like focusing on one, the awareness of our behaviors and the reality is they don't stop after you meet that person. Like we're bringing a lot of stuff from our life into a relationship. Partly why I am the way I am is because I think it's because I'm an only child. Thing is like as a child, your parents don't really understand you. So if you have a sibling, there is, like it feels like you have someone on your side or someone that you can like show your true self to because you feel like they can understand you. But I spent my entire childhood presenting myself to my parents. So I often had to censor myself to be like, I can't be weird because they're going to think I'm weird. Yeah. I have to present myself in this other way for them to understand me. That's why I'm like, if you're going to have kids, have two. Okay, just have two, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's so fascinating. I can see it all like it all makes sense now, right? Like where your behaviors as an adult, where they stem from. With this ex, like I guess what did you learn from this relationship? Because what it was two and a half years that you two were together? Yeah, I think it was just uh, just about two years. Just about two years. Okay. Learn so much on this podcast we talk about. Sometimes it's better to have someone than nobody. I absolutely learned the opposite of that. <laughs> if you're with someone just because you don't want to be alone, it's a very lonely place to be. It's much lonelier. I learned so much about from this relationship, about this relationship from him in terms of what I wanted in a relationship. I thought I just wanted to be with someone stable and who liked me and who treated me well. Those are just basics. Right. I think to make a relationship work and meaningful, you're constantly engaging and learning and evolving with each other. And we stopped doing that in the first couple months. We were so curious, like the first couple months. And then it just stopped. We stopped growing. You saw me stop being myself because I was just lackluster. I became so because this relationship was grinding away at me. And I remember having a moment of looking back on my previous self before the relationship and being jealous of that person, (laughs) thinking, I wish I were that interesting person again. I'm no longer that. And it had nothing to do with him. It was just that the two of us did not put any effort into making that relationship a meaningful relationship. I see why you fell for him. He was good on paper. He checked all the boxes. He treated you well. Like, It would be kind of be like that moment, like, what am I doing if I'm not with this person? Yeah. But then the foundations weren't there and you just can't, that stuff isn't going to be on paper. And that's where a lot of us get so hung up and why we judge profiles so so diligently. But it's like the X factor of the energy, the connection, the vibe, like how you two mesh. None of that's there when you're just focused on the superficial characteristics. And it's hard to figure out what is important to you in a relationship because when you've been dating for so long, you're like, oh, thank God just found someone who treats me good and wants to be with me. All right, this will do. You also have to prioritize your relationship with yourself. So if you find that you're in a relationship and you're deprioritizing your relationship with yourself, that relationship is stealing you. It's robbing you of yourself. That's not a good relationship to be in. And I I realized in that relationship, I deprioritized my own relationship with myself. And that's how I lost everything about myself. It's really hard, too, because there was nothing wrong in the relationship. No. Right? Besides the fact that you didn't feel good, which actually is something wrong when you think about it. But we're told, like, you leave a relationship when someone's not treating you well. Right. Right. Timelines aren't aligned or you don't want the same things out of life. There was nothing, like, glaring. It just was the way you two were day to day. Yes. My parents were like, why? Why are you? Why is this over? Yeah. It seemed like it was going. You told great. me, and I was like, Meh, I get it. Yeah, I, you you were not surprised. <laughs> I still remember this conversation. We were walking, and you're like, yeah, I'll tell you the truth, I'm not that surprised. But it was definitely a shock to my parents because it gave them PTSD of my. Oh, I'm sure. First, the five year relationship, the one that proposed, they were so shocked by that breakup because they're like, we thought you guys were headed down this path to marriage. What do you know about other people's relationships? I always say this. I can't comment on other people's relationships because you have no idea what's going on beneath the surface. I think people would have seen our relationship and thought, 
they're doing great. Oh, yeah. They're fine. They're, you know, totally. headed into that direction. Yeah, they're going to get married. And like, that's that's what's going to happen. Little did they know that there was so much turmoil underneath it all. Right. So I'm glad I went through that to know that I'd rather be alone than being in a relationship that was not meaningful. The one takeaway I had from that relationship was after that ended, I didn't jump into dating at all. I didn't go back on the apps right away. I just sat with myself for months and months. And if a date came my way, I'd go on the date. There was no pressure. I only went on two dates before I met my current boyfriend (laughs) because I was like, I'm not trying to fill up my calendar. I'm not trying to distract myself. I just want to be like, I want to find myself again. Well, I think couples therapy was key for you. It definitely gave a lot of line of sight to yourself, to your relationship, to what was missing. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why after all that, you wouldn't be like, let me just get back right on the apps and start filling my time. I had something similar happen of this dating sabbatical. Mm -hmm. And I realized that just filling my time constantly, I was avoiding my own emotions. Right. Do you feel like you had a situation that kind of came to light that maybe some of that was lacking? And how did that play into your next relationship? You are so right. Couples therapy was very eye-opening for me because it was two full weekends with seven other couples. And the first weekend, remember I told you, I was like, oh, man, they got way bigger issues than me. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know if any of them are going to make it. They're all fucked. And the end of the second weekend, I was like, oh, shit, we're fucked. <laughs> We've got so many issues. And I realized through this mirror of this reflection of myself in other people's relationships, hearing their issues, I realized the reason why I didn't think we had issues is because I never reflected on what was going on in our relationship. If I reflected, I would have known exactly what the issues were. So that's why that first weekend I was like, wow, we don't have issues with that. We don't have problems with that. But we did. We just never reflected on it. Do couples counseling before you have issues. Just do it. Just do it. As soon as you are in a serious relationship and you want to make it work, just get into counseling. It will absolutely set you up for success. So counterintuitive. (laughs) So counterintuitive. People think of counseling as a drug. You take it when you have a headache. You take it when you have a problem. Think of it as a vitamin, okay? It's preventative care, and you want to do it on a regular basis even before you have the problems so that it prevents the problems from building. And then the second takeaway was sometimes two people have to sit and reflect and give time and space to reflect on what is going on in the relationship. What are the issues? My partner and I have this couple friend and they do like themed nights. So one night they would talk about like career. Another night they talk about their relationship. Another night they talk about family. And I like that because you're putting like a theme around intentionality behind what you're talking about. My ex and I never talked about anything. So we just assumed nothing was wrong until we realized everything was wrong. Oh, that's such a good point. Because I feel like for years, I was like, why would people need to like carve out time to talk about these things or card games or any prompts? And then now I'm just like, oh, yeah, like that stuff is it's maintenance to your relationship. Like I think there's it's a myth that like once you're in a relationship, all the problems go away. We talked about that last week. And it sounds like in this relationship, you guys kind of were like, okay, we've defined the relationship for all intents and purposes. It's going well. And then there was no maintenance that was done. And that's when it fell apart. I like that you framed it that way, because I think maintenance, it's about maintenance of the relationship. So you do the maintenance together. 
I think what I was getting hung up on was issues would come up for me and I'd be like, I'll work on it. I'll figure this out on my own. Mm. I never involved my partner. And so when the issues built up, my partner would be like, where the fuck did this come from? I didn't know you were dealing with this. So when things do come up in a relationship, it's almost better to involve your partner, even though if you're like, okay, I've seen this before, I can work through it. Keep them updated, keep them involved so that they can be along with you on this journey so they know what you're going through. And sometimes it is better to involve your partner to help you solve the issue because two brains are better than one. And we have to know that in a relationship, we're constantly tested. You don't know what life is going to throw at you. So if you don't build your army with your partner now, how are you going to tackle the challenges of life later? So you build your rapport, you build your team so that when life throws you these curveballs because shit will happen, you just have a much stronger team behind you. I know like relationships are reflections of yourself and show you what work still needs to be done. And I 100% agree. I think like it is the biggest reflector because you can see where those areas are. But sometimes it just is that you're not the right team also. Mm -hmm. You're not the right fit. You're not working as a team. So with your current partner, I mean, you obviously knew him from a long time ago. You guys met like while you were in Beijing. Yep. But I remember the night we went to see Crazy Rich Asians for the (laughs) second or third time. I can't remember. (laughs) And he came. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like when it rekindled. Mm -hmm. And then you invited him to this movie. And I remember after the movie, we went to karaoke. It was me, (laughs) you, him, and his business partner. Yeah, whatever. And I just remember seeing you and you were so giddy and It was like UA before your ex. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, okay, she's back. Like the vibrant UA was back. So what do you think was different this time around? When someone just makes you feel alive, it's like such a great feeling. And I felt like of such a rare feeling that this person brought out this life out of me. Yes, I could describe it as rainbows, butterflies. and But I think it was more just like I felt so good around him. Having done all that work, you know, beforehand, I just felt like I didn't really need a relationship. I didn't need him. So having that choice to like want it was such a freeing feeling instead of being like, oh, I need this like from my gut. Like, I really need this. I need this to work. I need this to happen. I need this to. It wasn't like that. So did the cool girl avoidant tendencies play in at all at this stage or had you felt like you kind of overcame that? Julie, of course it did. You were there that night when (laughs) Cool Girl UA came out screaming because my insecurities came out. You know, I mean, this was a time where we did not DTR. He was definitely still on the apps. He was active on the apps. And oh, is this the night of that holiday party? I do remember this. Remember I told you I was like, it's over. It's over yep. if he keeps doing this. If he, It's over if he keeps being on the apps. Like, okay, overreacting much. <laughs> but also, who made these rules? <laughs> and did you communicate these rules? You had never had a conversation. It was more just you were hanging out. So it was like almost like, oh, I'm entitled to this, but not because we talked about it. Absolutely. And then I went in on one of our dates with the intention of breaking up with him. My angle was, I can't have you on the apps, actively dating on the apps and having my friends see it. It's embarrassing for me. 
So this is over if you want to keep seeing other people. Again, testing him, wanting him to be like, no, you're my one and only. But to him, it was like came out of nowhere. He's like, I thought we were having a great time. And now you're breaking up with me. This is so weird. What do you need? You know, what what can I do in this moment? He stepped forward for me. I think most of the men I've dated in the past would have just been like, peace. All right. If that's what you want, okay, I'm going to listen right. to you. But he was like, hey, all right, like, let's talk this out. Let's make this work because I do want to make this work. So I did that stupid cool girl mentality came out again. I was like, I'm going to break up with him. I'm going to be the one to protect myself. I'm going to be like, I don't need this in my word, life. Yeah. yeah, I don't need this. I don't need you. But he's like, no, 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 it's not about that. If we like each other, we want to make this work. What is it that we need to do in this moment to make it work? Simple. So what else was the turning point? Like, what else is going on current day in this realm? My insecurities pop up all the time, especially as I I don't go out as much anymore. I'm certainly like trying to just be more of that homebody these days. Mm -hmm. And he is still going out. And we, you know, beginning of our relationship, we love going out together. Now he definitely goes out more. So the insecurities do pop up. I mean, I see thirsty girls and guys all the time. I like, I know how they act, you know? <laughs> and as much as I trust him, I'm like, okay, well, I have eyes on you in the city. So if you do anything, but then when I think about myself saying that, I'm like, that sounds so silly. That's so silly. I don't need to babysit him. I trust him to respect me and be loyal to me. I don't need to be saying threats. <laughs> like Threats do not do right. relationship any good. So that pops up. This topic of marriage comes in and out of our relationship. And I've been very open about that. But sure, it's always made me a little bit insecure. And it makes me want to go back to cool girl syndrome like, okay, well, if you don't want to get married, I'm going to find someone who does want to marry me. I have those thoughts. She comes up all the time. Yeah. Like, if you truly loved me, <laughs> you would want to spend your life with me and you want to be public about it, right? Right. And then I think about, okay, what is currently happening in our relationship that's pointing to him not being committed to you? I can't think of one single thing. Commitment. What is it that symbolizes a commitment? Does it have to be marriage? No, it doesn't have to be. But it's someone's actions towards you. Every day I have these voices that come in, UA from 20 years ago, would have done this, would have said this. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's great. I respect her. I listen to her. But then I go, well, <laughs> look at how great my partner is today. Yeah. And I just have to look at the reality of this relationship first. I mean, you started this off saying that you were a runner. Yeah. And I feel like what you're saying now is anything but that is even when it's difficult, even when these thoughts creep in might be easier to just peace out, get the last word, have your dignity, pride, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You're choosing not to. And I think that actually is a lot of growth. And I hope this is good for listeners to hear too, is we don't need to necessarily correct every last bad behavior. Like there's going to be some that we just, we say it, it came from your childhood. Like it's really hard to unlearn all of that. We talked about it in our episode with Dr. Abigail Lev about schemas and cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. It's easier to actually change our behaviors over our thought patterns. Mm -hmm. So it's how do you react to something versus saying, I'm going to think a totally different way, or I'm never going to let this thought creep in or this way of being. It's recognizing, okay, this is creeping in, but I'm going to choose to behave a different way. Mm. And also cutting yourself slack when you might behave yeah. the same way. 
because it doesn't happen overnight. I think it's all like all of what you talked about today, all the experience, even when you said you might have relapsed and went back to your old ways, you didn't go back to zero, right? You went from experience. So all of it is just a continued work. And then you can also look at the times that you didn't have that behavior of I'm sticking in it today, or I'm dating as a vacation mentality, and I'm not worried about the pressures and all of the future folding that comes with it. So I do think like there's so much progress in all of it. And I think it's really fun activity to go through like your history and see how far you've come. Because I mean, as someone that's known you not your whole life, but even from the San Francisco chapter, how far you have come is so much like you would not be as like committed and in it as you were 10 years ago. Absolutely. And I'm glad that we have these therapy sessions between you and I, because it helps me understand. (laughs) It helps me understand how far I've come, but it also has helped me be less judgmental of my relationship and other people's relationships, because I realize every relationship has its problems. Every relationship is hard and we can't base our experiences on other people's experiences. It just doesn't work that way. And One thing that happened to us recently was we did an episode, a brunch talk about when to say I love you. Mm -hmm. And I had mentioned that it took my partner a year and a half to say I love you. And a listener wrote in and said, isn't that weird that it took you that long? That doesn't seem right. And it seems like a really long time. Yeah. This comment really helped me realize I used to be that person like, oh, I should be on this timeline. If things don't happen within three months, there's something wrong. And within a year, we shouldn't we be doing this? And we do this because we're constantly judging other people's timelines and relationships through this lens. So I would hope that this conversation will empower all of you to think about not in terms of timelines and what other people are doing. It's great what's worked for them. It may not work for you. And whatever you've gone through in the past, the previous timelines, learn from it. That's not a definition of who you are, but you can learn from it. I can learn from the fact that these relationships, maybe some things took a little bit longer than others, but I learned from that and I can pinpoint exactly why that happened. All we can do is focus on our own relationships and not anybody else's. I feel like the love you is a perfect example because the narrative is, oh, well, like if you love someone, you would just say it immediately. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, like different households had different relationships with that word. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that a lot growing up? Did you not? Was it something that was never said? There's a lot that goes into it that might not have any reflection of your relationship with your partner. So we have to remember that we're all carrying these histories in one way or another. And how much we evolve is really important, but also having grace for our partners for other people that might have their own behaviors that have stuck with them and they're actively working on every day. And it might not be the same stuff you struggle with. And I think sometimes it can be really hard. I'm certainly guilty of this, of being like, well, that's easy for me. Mm. Why is this such an issue for you? Right. But that we're wired differently. Like we have different upbringings. We have different backgrounds. Like It's just impossible. So yeah, yeah, it's hard. All this stuff is hard. hard. But I think why we're so obsessed with dating and relationships is because ultimately it is how we evolve as people. Right. And interacting with others is the greatest catalyst for change of who we are as human beings. Like mm-hmm. you've been pointed to a few examples in this of how 
it got you out of the funk. It got you to change Mm -hmm. life direction, to make those moves. And every relationship comes into our life for a reason. I really believe that to change us, to teach us something, to show us a side of ourselves that we didn't know. And it's really fun, actually, to look at like the past. And I love doing exercises like this, because you can see how much you've changed. And you can see what sides of you came out. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that they won't come out again, even if your relationship ended. That's something that like rests inside of you at the end of the day. We call it baggage, but we can call them learnings, right? It's probably better to call them learnings. We take so much of that into our future and current relationships, and we just have to be aware of that. Before we go, is there any like parting advice you would have for our listeners that maybe are feeling like they're in a funk with one of their behaviors that they know isn't serving them, but it's hard to kind of unlearn some of, you know, the way that they've operated for years? Something that has really helped me is when a bad behavior does come up. I used to visually picture like a rock hitting me, you know, bogging me down because it's like, oh, here we go again. I'm experiencing this again. But now what I visually picture is like a balloon lifting me up because Mm. I'm using that as an opportunity to learn. I get really excited. I'm like, oh, this came up. Let's figure out why that is. And when you think of it as a more uplifting learning opportunity, then we're able to crawl out of it a little bit better because it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is an opportunity as opposed to something bad that's happening. I love that because I think especially if we know we're prone to something, I can see this with you too. It's like, you know that you are a little closed off, but because you're aware of it, now you're like, I need to take extra steps to be open, to give that emotional availability instead of just taking it for granted like we would if we weren't one aware or just came supernaturally. Right. Exactly. Thank you again for getting raw and real. (laughs) If you love this episode, make sure to give us five stars and then also get on our newsletter. We're really Mm -hmm. going into all the behaviors. We're trying to break up with bad dating behavior once and for all. (laughs) We all have it. It follows us. So join us on this journey. This is, you know, just our opportunity to give some tidbits of our learnings, let you reflect, have that time we established in this conversation how important reflection is. So this is your weekly dose of reflection. It's called the Datable Detox. So make sure to get on our mailing list. You can go to datablepodcast.com or join our Facebook group to sign up. It's the only detox you need this year. Okay. Don't do any of the other like juice cleanses and all that (laughs) bullshit. Just do the Datable Detox and you're good to go. Okay. Well, that being said, I think it's time that we wrap this up. Stay Datable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable.